you are tuned in to the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you so much for letting my show be part of your podcast library. Now here is your hostess with the most mess, Samantha Parrish. Greetings and welcome back to the Paris Passages podcast. I am your host, Samantha Parrish, and now the show can officially begin with the first episode all about dark humor. We are going to be talking about the definition of dark humor, the surprising examples in many terms that dark humor has, and a very surprising factor about where dark humor originated from. Before we dive into the dark humor discussion, I want to give a little heads up about how the show is going to go. So, the way I talk is, I'm not going to lie, it kind of talks like an auctioneer that had way too many cups of coffee, and it has been mentioned to me that I am a fast talker, so with this show, there might be a couple of moments that I might fly out a little too fast, and you guys will be listening and just going, what did she say? (laughs) What? Trust me, I get it all the time. I have struggled with slowing my talking down. Now that it's been addressed, you know I'm a mess. I'm getting better. So now that I've went ahead and had that um, little ramble out of the way, now we can officially begin the episode about dark humor. Dark humor, it has risen in popularity as a genre, and it's also morphed into the dialect and the way that we talk. If you notice, the way that you talk, I talk, everyone talks, it's always this self-depreciative nature and self-scrutinizing, and there is a automatic acceptance to it to always talk as if life is down and yet it's okay. Some of it is a reassurance. It's understandable because I talk down to myself all the time. This is very common in various memes that we see, and I'm not going to lie, I love seeing the memes where it goes a little too far, but yet I'm still going to chuckle because it's unfortunately relatable. There's just no way around it. It's just been addressed very bluntly. That's the way life is. But we talk like dark humor, but what is it? Like, what's the actual definition? When I did a article for Vocal Media, I decided to do some research because I write it, but I don't think I actually knew what the, the history of it is. Where did it come from? Why, why is this a staple, a part of our society? And there's a lot of stuff that no one really knows and it really should be. I went to Wikipedia and I just typed in dark humor. I wanted to see what that definition came up with and it did not come up as dark humor. It automatically came up as black comedy. And I'm like, all right, okay, let me read some more about this. There are several definitions There's black comedy, morbid comedy, gallows humor, black humor, dark comedy, and of course the topics within this genre, which are the ones that we mostly see, is about sexuality, death, violence, disease, discrimination, and if you look at a lot of certain TV shows, movies, books, that's that's pretty on par. All the stuff that I mentioned is stuff that you normally see in dark humor-themed television shows or movies or books. And I started making my own definitions. Personally, I call dark humor casual nerve. When you see a character that talks a certain way that is 
completely shocking to hear what the hell they just said, then it's like they have no penitence for what they just proclaimed. They just went there. That's all that matters. They said something so uh, insulting and terrible, and that's just casual to them. Like, they just don't give a crap. They'll do whatever they want to their own amusement. I've also said that dark humor can be, like, the anti-blues. The blues, as a music genre, as everyone knows, the blues is primarily about going through really tough slices of life, but you know that life's going to get better. You get your heart broken, but love will come along, or things will get better one day. With dark humor, it's just an automatic acceptance that things are just going to get worse. And that does sadly pertain to life, that sometimes you turn around and things just get harder. Believe me, I know. Oh, I go through every week and just go, okay, I survived. I also see this as characters that are mildly annoyed. If you look at a lot of certain characters and how they react to stuff, like, they're not that shocked about what happened. They're just mildly annoyed, like, oh, I have to go threaten my boss again for money? Oh my god. Or something like, okay, I gotta go steal my dad's car back after he stole it back for me. God! <laughs> you know? They're mildly annoyed over things that should be taken as very, very, very critical for what happened, but they're like, whatever, it's a Tuesday. That's kind of the way I see it. With dark humor, there is a freedom in expanding on a topic that goes to uncomfortable territory. And it turns out the ones who started the whole idea of making morbid comedy was the Greeks. I would never think that's the country pinpoint, but they're the ones that wrote a lot of dark humor stories. I can't really give you an exact year of when they started making dark humor books, but if you know the history of Greece, I can, I can believe it. I, I really can. But I can give you this information, and this is something that is going to just completely change the way you think about dark humor. The first recorded story was in 1759. It's an English novel called Tristram Shandy by Lawrence Stern. I never knew of this literary existence. If you look at a lot of books you've known throughout your childhood or casually mentioned in conversation uh, about just certain academics, Tristram Shandy is something that you have probably never heard in your life. Before I started recording this podcast episode, I asked my grandfather if he ever knew about the nine volumes of Tristram Shandy. Never heard of it at all in his life at all. 83 years old, never knew it. When I saw the snippet of where it's used in the definition for dark humor as that is the pinpoint, I can honestly see why Tristram Shandy is used as the pivotal pinpoint of an example that sums up dark humor, and I'm going to share it with you. Within the first book of Tristram Shandy, I'm so sorry to be laughing, but God, it's, it's awful. That's Little tiny tot Tristram Shandy, five years old, needs to relieve himself. But there is no chamber pot available. Don't know why, but, you know, plot has to plot. That's just the way it goes, because this is how it happened. So he opens the window to relieve himself. It's just, you do what you gotta do, okay? I don't blame you, Tristram. Well, however, his sash came down, and it basically gave him a free vasectomy, and it just whipped his wizard off. 
And so his family sees what has happened to poor Tristam that, well, he's had a free vasectomy. Unfortunately, his family was very nonchalant to react to what just happened to their son. And they pretty much just laughed and brushed it off like, hey, that's a tough slice of life, son. Even though he literally just had a tough slice of life. So having that example, I think it does pertain that the exact reaction and morbidity has expanded. I could think of a couple of examples that went farther than Tristam Shandy, and I know that my listeners out there have definitely watched their fair share of stuff that has made what happened to Tristam Shandy look like a paper cut. If you really look at it, it's gotten more of a home today in our daily life where we celebrate uh, critical self-scrutiny and horrible acts that happen if you really think about it they're just something that just is strangely enticing and amusing and in, in, in entertainment excuse me flew off a little too quickly one of the examples that i can give that is immensely praised for the writing and the ambiance which i feel is i have to agree with it it is a great piece of dark humor media it is the netflix show dead to me Dead to Me has the perfect balance where it doesn't go too far, but it just goes far enough into certain horrible parts of life that they can find some kind of comfort in to just get through it. Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini, I think I got her name right. Linda, if I got your name wrong, I'm sorry. They do a fantastic job. It's worth your time. And another example that comes to mind is, I can't not bring this up because I feel like I'm going to be sought after with pitchforks is the 1988 movie Heathers which I remember watching it when I was 16 years old and it was a interesting movie I'm not gonna lie I'm not the biggest fan of Heathers that's just my personal opinion if you love it awesome I'm so happy for you it just doesn't do that much for me uh, personally I find it pretty silly but at the same time, I feel like the silliness was required for it being in the 80s, considering if you took the intense comedy out of it, it would be a very, very, very dark movie that they could not get away with. It became a pioneer for many people to write dark humor, to write teen flicks, which I'm glad it served its importance. The way I was first introduced to dark humor that would serve as inspiration and help me out with my own writing of dark humor is the show Shameless, specifically the U.S. version on Showtime with William H. Macy and Emmy Rossum. I loved it. I loved it from the first episode. It was something that was just so off the sprocket that I've never seen before, and I wanted to see more of like, how are they going to get themselves out of these situations? These are terrible situations. Terrible situations that I would never see in real life, but then again, you kind of have to have that work to weave for fiction. You have to have things that would never happen, otherwise it wouldn't be fiction. Throughout every episode, what are they going to steal? What are they going to fix? What are they going to rig? How are they going to get through this? What's they just trying to survive for at least an hour? Oh, God bless them. Feel sorry for every one of the characters, but that's a good example of continual hardships and hella situations and just trying to get through it and they just casually react to everything like whatever it's life ever since i watched that show it immensely helped me out with my writing in creating my dark humor thriller book in glorious inc 
which we will get into at a later point in this episode. We just gotta get there. I have to explain a little bit more as to how I got to dark humor. I was asked a question on the podcast I was in with Brian Nowak, and he asked me, how did that change? How did Inglorious Inc. become a dark humor book? And, honestly, it was the freedom to expand on my commentary. Dark humor has a lot of commentary to serve. It is something that gives its honest realism. It might be a little bit too raw, but it just has to be that way to get the point across. And with transitioning to dark humor, I was able to correctly convey to my ability and bare my soul and stretch out what I could do to talk about things like depression, anxiety, the fault in the family, the actions of our consequences, and the weird interactions that we have with people and the way we regret things and the way we have to keep enduring a lot of pain, I was able to elaborate on all of those points and I could just keep going. And I could do it in a way that dark humor helped out with that. And now, it's what I found to be comfortable with expressing my ideas. I didn't get there in an instant. It took a couple of years to find out that that was the genre I preferred. When I first started writing, I just did not like the things I wrote. I couldn't put myself in there. It's like with some musicians that switch their sound to go somewhere else that they can stretch their creativity and be comfortable with their material. That's just like that with me. I went from being a drama writer to a dark humor writer. That is my staple. That is the way I tell my stories. Of all the projects I'm working on and all the books I'm continuing to work on, I have put that dark humor dialect in there and it just makes the story easier for me to tell. I love being able to show these characters that say something so shocking and they're just casual to it. Or they do something like it's... They just do something that is unheard of or just not normal, but that's just what's normal to them. I absolutely love stuff like that. It's amazing to see anywhere else and I have an automatic respect for someone that can show something different and make something else that I would never think could be associated excuse me associated with dark humor I love the scrappy reckless nature to expand on I just love it for a couple more examples we're gonna be kind of going all over the place with this episode but we're gonna go back into a prime example of dark humor and this is the one that I have to point to if you want to write dark humor, you got to watch this first episode of this television show. And that would be the pilot episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog. That is honestly the best example and the first example that came to mind with dark humor. I hadn't thought about that show for years until I started buying the DVDs to rewatch it. And now I watch that whenever I'm doing my writing because it just has a good structure. It is a horror comedy show, but looking at the writing, there is some elements that are very much like dark humor. The pilot episode is called A Night at Cat's Motel. Now, if you've never seen this show, you need to watch it, pause this episode, and come back there. I have no problem with waiting. It's delightfully disturbing. The pilot had one of the best ways to introduce a villain for how he was so casual to everything, but this is going to be a spoiler. So again, if you haven't seen the show, pause, watch, come back. But at the end of the episode, 
when Courage is about to be killed by this freaky-deaky-looking spider that they have, uh, the unexpected saving grace happens, where another character named Muriel comes out of nowhere with a racket and hits Cats on the head, knocking him out. And all Muriel says is, Come on, Courage, we're leaving. The service here stinks. And just... <laughs> That's the payoff to something that you would never think that has your head scratching like, that's the payoff? Well, damn, okay. <laughs> kind of sets the tone for the rest of the show. It's something that you really would not think would, would happen at the end. Again, it's like I said earlier, it's just the casual nature to everything. Just keeping that casual would just carry the show to get away with whatever detrimental or critical stuff happens within the characters. Or the story itself. It's the kind of payoff that leaves you stupefied and shocked to know that it wasn't what you thought. And dark humor has to leave on that head-scratching note. Like, it's the one thing you didn't see coming, and it was so casual. I love watching certain shows, and I sit there and just go, Christ almighty, they went there. <laughs> so, as promised, and as mentioned throughout this episode, is I'm going to be giving an example of dark humor with my own book, Inglorious Inc. So, Here's your exclusive. Let me get it. If you have a book, you can read along with me. How about that? So in chapter 8, called Bad Blue Blood, the characters Cassie and Jules are transporting three shady, shifty-looking dudes that tried to siege the shop, and they are putting them in the back of their car to be taken to a person that wants them. Dark as hell, I know, but th that's my story, man. Jules asks, all right, Cass, which one's first? And Cassie points to one of them, and she just is, like, so casual to everything. Like, we're just going to get that guy and put him in the car first. Jules asks, like, how much should he charge per person for how much work that was put into stopping these guys from taking over the shop and trying to destroy everything? So Cassie just says, well, he was the most trouble. I had to use Gina Davis on him. And Jules is just like, well, did Gina break? <laughs> That's his reaction. He cares more about a baseball bat than three people. That right there is like an example of like where the concern lies. It's always something else that you would never think. And from that reaction alone, you can see that this is, this is normal. This has been going on for years that he's just normal to, this is just normal daily life for him, for people to try and do harm and they're going to get what's coming to them, no matter what happens. And still, I just love the fact that he cares more about a baseball bat. <laughs> and there'll be some extra points to anyone who gets as to why a baseball bat is called Gina Davis. It's imperative to know that dark humor has to be casual. Like, as I said earlier, as I've been saying throughout this entire episode, is that dark humor is casual nerve. Something that's shocking but it shouldn't have to be considering, it has to be remembered that these characters are used to this kind of life. So, now we have to go on to our conclusion. It's just something that is, it's essential. It's relatable. It can be expanded on to go further on a topic that's uncomfortable, and it's a lot of respect for those that will go into uncomfortable territory to be the bold ones. It's just a hard slice of life that's literally or physically like poor Tristam Shandy. It's something that people need. It's something that people want to have just to help give them a sense of comfort while they're being entertained to know, okay, 
there's been something else that I can relate to that is hard to watch, but at least my problem isn't too uncommon if it's going to be the same hardship this character goes through. Whenever I write Inglorious Inc., I love the feeling I get that I have elaborated on something that people don't talk about. I love to be that person to make something that is boldly bizarre. And of all the genres made, if you really think about it, we watch more dark humor or dark humor-inspired media shows more than you think. When you watch your favorite television show, your favorite movie, read your favorite book, maybe you should pay attention to the way a certain character talks or the way they describe something. Look back on that and dissect it for yourself to see if what you watched was actually dark humor and you did not know, or the fact that it could be stretched to be within the dark humor genre. All right, everyone, that is our episode. It was a very long process. I'm not going to lie, my ass is getting sore from sitting on the stool from uh, recording this episode, but I had a really good time being able to talk about this. This was a very interesting thing to really elaborate on. I hope that you will go about your day and think about the knowledge that you took from this episode to know a little bit more about dark humor than you ever thought to expect. Now you have something to talk about from for someone else to give as a piece of information. So the next episode is going to be a very special one because I'm going to be talking about the one year anniversary of Inglorious Inc. That is coming up this month. I mentioned this in the introduction podcast episode that that February serves as the one-year marker, and I'm going to be writing a very special episode talking about how that process went, how it's done so far, uh, the certain funny things you'd never expect to think what came out of this book, and I'm so shocked of the way that it turned out. I would love to share my story and how I made that story. I'm going to be heading out. I'm going to go about my day. I'm going to go chill out. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It makes me very happy to know that people are giving my show a shot to have a part of their podcast library. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and have a great day. Bye-bye.